Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. It's great to have you with us. We've done our first round of AFLW action for season 2022 and it's so exciting. We're going to talk to you all about the action, but before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. But we've got a lot to get through. So today it's me, Marissa Lordanik, Marnie Vinyl, and Anna Harrington. Gals, let's talk about the footy. First of all, let's run through the round one results. We had a lot of intriguing clashes to watch and dissect. So we had... Richmond starting the season off with a 38-point win over St Kilda. North, they left it late. They kept it close, but they defeated Geelong by eight points. The Ds were too strong for the Dogs with a 24-point win. Freo got the bragging rights in the Western Derby with a 28-point win over the Eagles. Adelaide got some revenge in the grand final rematch with a 30-point win over the Lions. Collingwood were too strong for Carlton with a 19-point win and then GWS defeated the Suns by 15. So lots of interesting clashes to talk about. Unfortunately, though, we have to begin on a very sad note because it was ultimately a very sad round for three players. We have learned over the course of this week that three players have torn their ACLs after that first round of action. So Izzy Huntington from the Dogs, Bree Davey from the Pies and Kate Lutkins from the Lions. So it's awful. I don't think I need to really elaborate on that, but how big of a loss for these three players and these three clubs is it, Anna? I mean, they're three stars of the league. (laughs) That's all you can say. They're crucial losses. I think when we did our previews last week, you, Marissa, said Bree Davey was your pick for – Best and fairest, league best and fairest. And we talked about Izzy Huntington, what she can do forward and back. And Kate Lutkins is that defensive anchor for Brisbane. It's three crucial players gone, three absolute hammer blows to those clubs' respective seasons. And it's just devastating for those players, um, obviously for Kate, but particularly for Bree and Izzy who've gone through it all before. And for Izzy, it was actually she tore the graft in her right knee. So she'd done both her left and right knees in, in 2018 and 2019. And she uh retore or she tore the graft that was in that in her surgery in her right knee. So it was just devastating. And she actually posted a um a screenshot on Instagram which was posting about it. And knees are not meant to bend that way. Um and it's just devastating for Izzy who overcame a broken leg in her draft year when she was clearly the standout player, like incredible player. Um and then had the back-to-back setbacks, um, playing as a forward, came back, showed us all what she could do, won the rising star. And she must have felt like, at least on some level, this injury hell was behind her with what she'd managed to deliver in the past two seasons and it was just devastating and then for for Brie who obviously did her ACL while playing for Carlton in 2018 she knows that pain as well um has obviously kicked on to become one of the top probably three players in the league and um for it all to end so cruelly for these players is just the worst we know that they've not been able to play VFLW through the um through the off season and you know it's just they've had seasons cut short in recent years they've had games moved they've had so much chaos and yeah, um, I think a lot of these players are absolutely fanging to get into it this year and for it all to end so cruelly so early, um, Marnie, it's just devastating, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's really going to impact the mood of those teams and those clubs and the competition in general. I know that I'm now going to be watching Holding My Breath 
especially when any player gets injured, even if they're not clutching their knee, I'll still have a part of me just like fearing the absolute worst. It is devastating. When Izzy went down, it felt like the entire mood just shifted. Like both teams, the entire crowd, it was just this somber tone. And then it felt like a bit of a sick joke watching it happen to Lutkins and then Davey. It was like almost surreal, like this couldn't actually be happening. And it really does just demonstrate you know, the plight of these semi-professional part-time athletes, they're out for the season. That is a year-long rehab. We're asking them to put their entire bodies on the line without giving them the full-time support and resources in order to do that. And while that happens, we're going to see injuries like this happen, and that's really not good enough. And I saw a really good thread, actually, from Julia, who appears on the Outer Sanctum, talking about... um, I guess the common reaction we have to these sorts of injuries and it's all like, you can do it. You can come back stronger. And you know, the, you got this mentality. It's a really good thread. Um, so J- Julia C on Twitter, just basically there's that sentiment and yeah, it comes from a really good place of goodwill, but um, it just sucks. And it's, it is, you know, cruel. It's tragic. And these players do have the right to feel that emotionally to, I think you have the right to be angry. You have the right to be upset. You have the right to be devastated. And I think it is, I thought it was a really good thread about how players should be able to feel those emotions. And I feel like there is almost more pressure on these female athletes. Oh, you know, I can fight back. I can come back. I can do it. You know, these sorts of things. But it's devastating. Like, I liked her line about for those players that are facing an uncertain and long rehab after barely a game, I hope you have some time and space to yell, scream, rage, throw things, cry, ugly cry and cry again and, and grieve for, for what they've lost. And, you know, things will get better, but it's okay to be, to feel all of the, those emotions and players should be supported to feel that. And your point there, Marnie, is so accurate because for these players, and I've seen this talked about amongst players on online as well, is it's not just their footy that gets affected. It's everything in their life. If you have a physical job, if, outside of footy if if you um you know it it can be things like getting to work going to see family being able to drive you can't drive for a bit you actually have to get you know get help being looked after when you're initially going through your your surgery and these sorts of things it's it's devastating like and it's a short enough season as it is and you know depending on what your rehab's like it could well cut into next season as well so yeah, these players have a right to feel devastated. And I think the one good thing that's come of it is um, because I know last season the um, incidence of ACL injuries was down. Um, I think COVID has not helped with this sort of thing. Like you've got players that are raring to go. They've not had the VFLW off season. Um, maybe I don't want to say there's anything wrong with their conditioning or anything like that, but it's like clearly they've come back into it raring and ready to go and something has just not held up because as we know with ACL injuries, they're very rarely contact injuries. Um, and it's, yeah, uh, the good thing is it has raised a lot of discussions about, well, how can we support these players? How can we be better? And um, that's because it, it isn't good enough. And I think we've seen, we've seen soccer manage to reduce ACL injuries largely through things like the FIFA 11 program and, and things like that. Obviously there are always going to be freak incidences, but I think, if there's one good thing that comes from this, it raises the question again about how can we support these athletes? Clearly the number one thing for all of us here is you've got to see that full-time professionalism and that support to, to do all these things so you're not bouncing between jobs and coming to training or games tired. And at the end of the day, some of it is just going to be freak accidents and you can't do much about it. But if the one thing that can come from this really devastating weekend of football is more talk about how we can prevent this or reduce the incidence of this even further, um, the better because it's 
it's a devastating blow, not just for those players and for their teams, but for everyone who who loves the game, really. Yeah, well said. I think reduction is the the big word there because, as you said, it's not like we're going to suddenly live in an ACL zero word they, world. They are. <laughs> it's like the world without lawyers thing from The Simpsons. Honestly, I want that world, but we know it's not possible, unfortunately. I will say, though, Erin Phillips had a chat on the W podcast over at the ABC and spoke a lot about this and about not only um, the full-time professionalisation and how much that could be a a factor and a a positive factor at that, but also just the timing of the season and having this weird kind of pre-season, then Christmas break, and then going straight back into footy. So it's an interesting chat. Would definitely recommend it. I did also just want to note that Izzy Huntington, I hope she has had her, her scream and her cry and all of that, but her attitude on Instagram was absolutely phenomenal. She captioned her post with, oops, I did it again. And that made me laugh. And honestly, her attitude in that Instagram post in the caption, it just, it spoke really highly of her. And I suppose, unfortunately, she's very um, well practiced at coming back from injury. So we hope that it is a, a quick and a smooth recovery for all three of those players. And for a couple of the others, it wasn't just the round of ACLs. We had Kim Rennie getting knocked out, which is always a horrific thing that we have to see. Dakota Davidson has been sidelined for about four to five weeks with an ankle injury. And Grace Egan will be missing a little bit of footy with a punctured lung, which is insane when you think about it. So it was a a rough and tumble kind of round of footy. But we do have to talk about some of the actual play and action so let's talk a little bit about who impressed us this round so Marnie who impressed you this round my number one I'm going to go with Geelong as a team I wrote in my column for ESPN on the round so a bit of a shameless plug there you can go to ESPN for it but I wrote that there won't really so far it looks like there won't be any easy wins so last season it very much felt like Whoever was playing the Suns and whoever was playing Geelong, they were going to win that game. Where it seems a lot less sure because both teams put up a a much more competitive side. They looked like a completely different side. They were both really exciting to watch. In both games, I thought they had a chance to win it. I was, Geelong were in front, I think it was in the third quarter, they were still in front and I was really hoping that they were going to get the win. Although for my tipping, I was hoping that North were going to win, but just for my love of Geelong. I wanted them to get up Um, and same with the Suns they put on a competitive front and it was a really exciting game to watch I had a bit of faith that they could do it they didn't but you know there's always next round and I want to highlight the player I want to highlight in Geelong side is Georgie Prosparkis I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that she had a good game but just because of how hyped she was I was a little bit worried that maybe would put too much pressure and would put too much expectation on this kid but 20 disposals, 16 kicks, 12 contested possessions, seven clearances, number one for Geelong in clearances, number one for Geelong in inside 50s, number one for Geelong in metres game, which was 402. That is an impressive, an impressive game for a debut draftee. It was incredible. I'm so excited to just watch what she does, especially uh, teaming up with Morrison there. A positive was Morrison did not do her ACL. So let's continue <laughs> with that, you know, kind of energy going forward. Not good. Haro? I love what Marnie said. It feels like that's a real one-two punch that Geelong should have for, you hope, the next 10 years or so um, with Prisparkus and Morrison. Um, just just so exciting. I, I 
my highlight of the round. Apart from the lovely Channel 7 aerial footage of Frankston Skyver Stadium, um, that was one of my highlights for the round. Those aerial shots, it was like, I was like, if I'm going to tweet, I should probably tweet about the game. So I reserved my tweets, um, but I did enjoy that. But the other highlight um, to come out of the season opener was Monique Conti. What a star. Like, it was the first, it's been pretty well publicised. It's the first preseason she's had where WNBL hasn't been sort of on a collision course with her Richmond preseason or Richmond or Western Bulldogs preseason. And she just looks on another level. I think Tigers coach Ryan Ferguson basically said, well, it can't, it can't hurt her. Like she smashes the shuttle run. She's one of the best at the running. Um, she's fit. She's firing. She's winning the ball inside. She's winning the ball outside. She's, she's doing it all. She just looked a class above. Um, St Kilda didn't really have any answers for her, especially given we know they're missing Georgia Patrikios and Tiana Smith. Um, but that, that Richmond midfield, she was really well supported, actually. Um, Conti by Maddie Brancatasano, and um, we saw Sarah Hosking in there as well. And we saw Tessa Levy get a fair bit of the footy. And I really liked Richmond's structure ahead of the ball with Katie Brennan and Courtney Wakefield. It feels far more balanced than last year when you had Sabrina Frederick in there as well. We all know my thoughts on Katie Brennan as a forward. It's good. Keep it there. No more midfield time, KB, because Monique Conti is the star of that midfield. And she was just everywhere. I think it was 29 disposals, 17 contested, nine clearances. And she just, as I said, looked a class above. She used the ball well. She just, the way she goes for the one-twos and is so instinctive and quick on her feet. And you obviously see those elements of her her basketball um, background coming through with how good she is in tight. But she just looks like she's on another level. And um, I think Patrick Dangerfield had probably one of the best says or comments on it, which was essentially if if Richmond can win enough games, Monique Conti's got to be up there for the, the league best and fairest. And it's, you'd be hard-pressed to disagree. Star. And she gets to play Melbourne this week, which I'm buzzing to see because that is a quality midfield. And uh, I think will pose a much more difficult test. But it, it does feel like the sky's the limit for Monique Conti at the moment. There's a little bit of moncomentum for the AFLW best oh. and fairest. I made my joke. I'm very happy about it. Um, but no, she was. Loved it. Thank, thank you for your support, friends. But no, she was absolutely sensational. And I think it's the same with Prosparcus as you were talking about, Marnie. We expected them to be good, but they really did kind of blow us out of the water with just how good they actually were. Another one worth mentioning, and I know the underrated line gets used every year with her, but Ashradale from North Melbourne is just a star, isn't she? Like she's in and under 35 disposals. Like how do you do that in a cut short compared to the men's game, like game of AFLW? They were without Emma Carney and obviously, as you said, Marnie, um, Geelong gave them a real scare. But when you've got someone like that at the coalface in Ashradale, you just – Good luck to anyone taking her on. She was obviously such a bargain for for North when they did draft her um, and got overlooked a couple of years in a row, but was a real star at Melbourne Uni, who obviously a lot of the North player pool um, have come from given their their links, their long-standing links. And she just gets better and better. And I did see a lot of people saying underrated. I'm like, yeah, but she is a star. She's been a star for a long time. I think if she's underrated... Um, if you're underrating Ash Riddell, you gotta you gotta query yourself a little bit because she has been a star for a very, very long time. And uh yeah, and then you you just like and then Kiara Bowers was just racking it up for Freo as per you like anything you can do, I can do too. So <laughs> it's just a few of the names that you expected to shine did is 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 how I felt about this round. I saw Freo had a meme today that was playing, you know, would you rather 
get tackled by Turbo or pick up 25 cards. You'd draw 25 without thinking, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. It's true. We can't deny it at all. But I will say a couple of other players that are worth a mention. Uh, Bauer's Frio teammate, Ebony Antonio, was absolutely sensational, kicked some absolutely spectacular goals, a couple of goal of the year contenders in there and really helped Frio get that win. It was important. I think it was also telling that both Bowers and Antonio were the two uh, medalists for best on ground in the Western Derby. So that made a lot of sense. And then Ash Woodland for the Crows was absolutely phenomenal. Just kicked an absolute bag, was really influential for them. So lots of good goal getters. We'd love to see all of it, but let's continue talking about some things. There was one thing that Anna, you mentioned that you had some very strong opinions on and you were going to talk about them. And then Carlton decided to give you all the kind of impetus to make sure that you got to talk about this. So it's the 50-metre penalty. They gave away four and really helped Collingwood in their win. So talk to us a little bit about the 50-metre penalty and also just Carlton's silliness for giving away so many. That's what it is, isn't it? Silliness. And it was from senior players like Darcy Vessio who you – I think as a coach, you don't really need to tell players off or bench them when they do something like that. They just go, oh, well, that was, you know, moment of madness or, you know, this, just unacceptable. Like it's, it's, they're just so costly and it's the sort of thing I imagine. I know a lot of clubs tend to have fine systems or, you know, like spin the wheel sort of things when players get done for 50-metre penalties and just silly. Like especially when you're team, playing a team as strong as Collingwood, it's, they are just so costly. I know teams have to deal with things like the stand rule coming in this year and and those sorts of complications, but still, just costly. You don't need to do it. But you do mention a bit of vindication for yours, truly, because my longstanding opinion is the 50-metre penalty is too long and too harsh a penalty in women's football because most players aren't kicking at 50 metres, let's be honest. And the as a general rule, and even sometimes in the men's game where you get a lot, a high percentage of players who can kick 50 metres, the punishment doesn't necessarily fit the crime. It it, it just seems excessive. And when a, if 50 metres can be for some players, really a, a kick and a half or a kick and a third or whatever, like there's a lot of these things where you go, surely a, a 30 metre penalty or a 35 metre penalty, 25, like a smaller number would make more sense just in terms of if you want to give teams an extra kicks advantage, Fair enough. But when it's for such things like just, you know, running over the mark or getting too close or, not, and, you know, entering a protected zone, you're like, the, those sorts of things, it, it just seems like too much, doesn't it? Like, and it, it can be such a, a momentum halter in games. Like, uh, I, I don't love it. I think it's, I've made it pretty clear. I think it should be shorter than 50 metres. And that's how I felt pretty much, I think, since the competition. Um, started it seems just too harsh a penalty and it can be a game changer like like it it genuinely can change the outcome of games which Carlton will be filthy about I guess their own silliness in this regard but you do see it too often in games where it it realistically does turn a forward 50 entry into a a gimme goal and you know and realistically it would have been a couple kicks away like it's 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 very frustrating it's it's not for me is what i'd say money i'm interested in your thoughts on the older 50 meter penalty thing and and carlton on on the weekend too yeah i mean carlton's lacking discipline wasn't great to watch i think it was particularly frustrating and when you're giving away 
those penalties that give away goals, which give away games, it can be incredibly frustrating to watch. Um, And when the season is so short, we're not just talking about games, we're talking about season defining. A win could make finals or not for some teams. And when it's the back of 50 metre penalties, that does feel a bit unjust and a bit unfair. I know when I watch the men's competitions, 50 metre penalties kind of feel a bit cheeky and they feel a bit fun, especially when it's your team that gets them. It's a bit exciting. But in the women's game, it just feels like it's defining that game and that is so unfair. I know the season, well, the competition has been growing and developing so much year on year, but in 2020, 248 goals were kicked in that season off the back of 50 metre penalties. That's just too many. Like we need to trial, I think, 25 metres or 30 metres and just see how that goes and how that shapes the competition and the games because at the moment it just feels too unjust. Tiggy Touchwood stuff for so much of it too, isn't it? Like how much is a player actually impeded by (laughs) some of these calls that get um, paid as 50? I know the umpires are just doing their jobs. And it's the rules that bind them, but I'm saying it's the rules that are the issue. I don't normally call for rule changes. I consider a rules committee as kind of a self-fulfilling thing because you have to you have to justify being on a rules committee. But I, I think this is one where it's actually valid looking at. Like, it, it, to me, it makes sense. It It's better for the game. The, it's not even just about, you know, where, what the skill level is at. I think it just is going to be better for the game. Less 50-metre penalties are better and smaller ones the better too because – has the impact of penalising something without, you know, potentially proving game-changing, which is, I think, what we all want to see, especially given the games are shorter. Like you got less time to make up for it. So, yeah. Should we see what Carlton think? If they do it again in their next game, I think Daniel Harford's head is just going to explode because I wouldn't be happy if I was a coach, but... There's some other things we need to talk about. Unfortunately, ideally, we don't have to talk about this, but we live in a COVID world, so we have to talk about the COVID protocols. We saw them kind of in action for the first time in round one. We know that there were a few players missing from teams because they were in AFL health and safety protocols. We've already seen some big names have been kind of ruled out of round two already. We've got no Ellie Blackburn for the Dogs, no Nick Del Santo for the Saints due to these COVID protocols. So, Marnie, you had some thoughts on them pre-season, but I'd love to see what your kind of thoughts are now that we have around kind of in the bank. Yeah, my thoughts pre-season were, and I don't want to look for silver lining when it comes to COVID. That doesn't feel like a fun or fair thing to do. But I was kind of excited to see fresh faces, to see younger players called upon and for them to have the opportunity to prove themselves when big stars get taken out or like mainstay players in key positions get taken out for whatever reason it gives a very rare opportunity for someone else in the team to fill that role and to prove themselves and to even just have a go and have a crack and maybe they're actually supposed to play in the front or in the mid or in the back or wherever it is but after the round and Carney being out and now Blackburn maybe being out for round two I kind of take that back a little bit I really don't want to see these stars be taken out of the games it feels so unfair and unfairness is just going to be a part of this season, you know, and Daisy said on the captain's day, you know, first year players who thought that they may have years to develop themselves are going to be called upon. And that made me excited. Now it makes me a little bit sad to think of all the other players that I have to miss just because of this 
virus. The one thing I did like to come out of this was when North Melbourne confirmed Emma Carney wasn't able to play. They actually said under the protocols, because I imagine her week of isolation would have finished or she was a close contact. She was in the in the COVID protocols. They said she would have been able to play, but um, they've decided with Emma for her health not to risk her. And I think that's a good decision because it takes time to, to recover from COVID. It's a pretty debilitating virus and especially as an elite athlete who has to juggle with with work as we know and um i like that north despite emma clearly being their captain and one of the best players one of the best players in the league were willing to to take that time to to let her feel better and feel comfortable about returning um i do also like although they are calling it the health and safety protocols rather than just saying you know covid or covid isolation um the, the clubs are just being honest rather than you know like there's a level of honesty at least you know you're not just saying this person's being managed or no everything's good it's it's good to just normalize it because there's so many covid cases around and you know especially as we say when players have got alternative jobs and those sorts of things they're they're going to come into it it was an inevitability that some players were going to miss and we know that they've got these tight protocols um but there's only so much you know, you can do like to, to avoid it though. These players will be doing everything they can not to get COVID, but for some, they're just going to be unlucky and that's going to happen. Um, it's, yeah, it's a shame that we will see players miss. Um, but the most important thing is that they're supported to get back to full health and fitness and, and come back. And that seems to have been the prevailing attitude amongst clubs so far. You know, like St Kilda had three players unavailable through health and safety protocols. And it's, it's tough. Like, you know, they missed a Kate Sheil or, um, you know, the presence she can provide, for example. It's it's difficult, but, yeah, it does seem like they're rolling with the punches. I think the big query is going to be on if you have, and we've seen it in soccer, Marissa, when we cover the A-League men and women, where there are just too many cases and a, and a game can't proceed and has to be pushed back. And I think that's where we might see a little bit of the chaos come in because, you know, if it spreads through a team, then you do just have to spend time on the sidelines and an interesting thing will be is if it happens um say uh to Adelaide because as we know Port Adelaide and Adelaide's men's teams this week said it I think it's about a quarter of their respective squads weren't back at pre-season this week because either being COVID positive or close contacts and there's different rules in different states in terms of what defines a close contact and your isolation period and all that so it's going to it is going to be different teams in different states dealing with, I guess, different regulations. And so you hope that there's going to be allowances for that when it comes to allowing postponements and, and that sort of thing. Hopefully we don't see too much of that, but it's going to be interesting to see how it how it goes as, as the season goes. And another area I think that COVID is really going to impact the season is the fans and getting to games. I know I only went to the season opener and then I watched the other six from my TV because I didn't want to risk it and I wanted to be as safe as I possibly could. And I think a lot of people have that mindset. They're debating whether to go to games or not. With COVID in the area, it does seem safest not to, especially if you do. You know, you've got a bit of a tickle in your throat for whatever reason, you can't go to a game. And so the fan crowds are going to be lowered. And I think it's important that we just recognise that, especially as the league grows and a lot of people like to point to crowd numbers and be like, well, you only had this many. Let's just remember that the fans are there. They're just being safe. And that's something we're seeing kind of across the board with sports, with the the A-Leagues, with the Big Bash. Everyone's kind of got reduced crowd numbers, but there is a reason behind it. 
We'll also have to kind of keep our eye on. There's been reports, we're recording on a Wednesday, Arvo, there's been reports that the Geelong and Bulldogs game might be in doubt due to those uh, rules that were brought in about COVID protocols and about numbers. So the Bulldogs are kind of running low on players, it seems, not only with um, COVID kind of scares, but just a very large injury list as well. So we'll obviously be watching that space to see what happens and if that game does get postponed when it gets postponed or if it does get cancelled so we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that one let's kind of begin to wrap things up we're going to introduce a new segment we've called it the handy point because it's fun and our handy point this week is to talk about how the commentary teams dealt with the emergence of they them pronouns for a lot of these commentators we can imagine this was the first time they've had to kind of deal with they them pronouns on a broadcast so Marnie Anna how did you see or let's talk about how the teams went the broadcast teams went and kind of just the wider conversation about Darcy Vessio and Tory Groves Little and their announcements about their pronouns. So I think the thing the most important thing here is that we're all learning and we're all learning together and mistakes are going to happen, but as long as we're trying and as long as we're trying to correct those. So the first quarter of Carlton Collingwood, it was pretty disappointing to hear she, her pronouns used for Das, but then as if someone whispered into the ears of the commentators, main commentator, um, they, them, because from second quarter onwards, it was fantastic. It was they, them, and it was, it just seemed natural. He wasn't, you know, stilting or like there wasn't any pauses. It was amazing. It was really good. And, you know, some of the special comments, some of the boundary writers, it's going to take time. Some of them used correct pronouns, some didn't. I think we're going to see that for a few rounds, but as long as we see people putting in the effort. And I also don't want to underplay the significance of hearing they, them for the first time, I think, in a sports game. I mean, I could be wrong. But the first time I've personally heard it and it was incredible. I think about what that means for representation. There was someone in the crowd with a sign that just said, thank you, Das, with the non-binary flag. And thinking about the importance made me want to cry a little bit. Like the impact that Darcy and Tori, Tori didn't play, but that they both are having is just, you can't put words to it really. Yeah, I would agree with what Marnie said. It was it was pretty it was pretty disappointing, um, and I'm I'm sure say a, a Libby Birch, for example, who used she her a few times. I think when you look back, it's just like whenever you do commentating or something like that, you go, oh, I'll be better next time and get and get that right. And I think that's the most important thing, as you said, Marnie. It's about putting the effort in, getting it right. And I think if you're a commentator definitely from here on in it's something we've got notes on all the players just highlight it get it right have it in your head and um, I think that's really important um yeah we, we did last week was obviously just a team by team preview so we we didn't touch on obviously Darcy's announcement which was so well received um, everyone was so happy for them and I think the best thing was Darcy just looks so happy like it was a real weight off their shoulders. And obviously there was that video with the AFL that had been pre-recorded with Darcy back in October. And um, they were really, it was about their biggest fear. And they they talked about um, coming out as non-binary and 
telling their parents and how supportive their partner had been. And it was, it was really good. And I think um, a lot of people would really appreciate it, but I just generally loved seeing the reaction to, to Darcy's announcement and the support and the, yeah, the, the general excitement that someone could be who they wanted to be. And we've, we've seen so much support for players and Darcy actually mentioned it around their sexuality and um, being who they want to be and who they feel they should be in the support that, that comes. And it's such a great thing um, in, in the AFLW, uh, the support that players have to, to be themselves. And it, it was fantastic. I, I love the response. We knew that there were going to be some trolls and awful people that don't even matter saying what they said. And it was great to see a lot of pushback on that um, from members of the, of the footy community. Um, but the most important thing is, is Darcy is feeling comfortable to be who they are and the support has been, I think, unanimous from the, the AFL and AF, AFLW and AFL community. And, um, yeah, long may it continue. And, Marty, I love what you said about the, the sign, the, the thank you, Darcy, one, because it, it just does sum up what these players can do. They're so fantastic with what they do on the field. But, um, yeah, AFLW really does have that feeling of being something much bigger as well. And yeah. And also, I think what we touched on very briefly before we jumped on Mike, that I think it would have been quite good to hear the commentators actually address that they are non-binary and explain to audiences, especially audiences that aren't online, don't spend all their days on Twitter like I do, that might not have known. It's also it's a good, really good chance to educate. You know, I've had conversations with some of my friends about, well, what does non-binary mean? And so to open up those conversations for people watching at home in living rooms, it would be great. Seeing as the commentators like to mention every Irish player is Irish every second that they get, wouldn't hate to hear a conversation about non being non-binary. I reckon you're both spot on there. And I do, I do genuinely believe that we are going to see an improvement from everyone and we are going to see that education and the conversation and it's all just going to be a real kind of positive snowball effect regarding being non-binary and using they them pronouns so I think it's going to be good stuff all around but let's talk quickly about round two what fixtures are we looking forward to Harrow what do you what have you got your eye on oh I've got my eye on Richmond v Melbourne because Richmond really impressed first up but this is where you find out you know, how good you actually are because Melbourne, sensational, bar a bit of a drop-off when the Bulldogs surged last round. They are a proper top-tier um, contender and I think it's going to be a really good test to see if Richmond um, are going to, you know, hit another level or if they're going to get a little bit of a, a reality check. It's, it's going to be exciting. And it's sold out, I believe. Full house. It is, which we absolutely love to see. Marnie, what fixture have you got your eye on? Well, a few days ago, I would have said Geelong taking on the Western Bulldogs, especially at Geelong's home. But now that it seems like COVID's dribbling out of the kennel, um, I'm going to go Brisbane-Carlton on Saturday afternoon, late afternoon. I think both, well, both sides will be looking for their first win and really wanting to prove their competitiveness. I don't think either side are going to want to go into round three with two losses under their belt. So hopefully it'll be a really tight contest, plenty of high pressure, hopefully less 50-metre penalties conceded on Carlton's account. I'm excited. 
It should be good. I'm looking forward to the Crows North. They both won in round one, and I'm really interested to kind of see where they both are against each other, using each other as kind of that barometer. So there's lots to look forward to. Some of the other fixtures that we didn't mention, Collingwood taking on St Kilda, that could be a bloodbath. Is that rude to say? I've said it anyway. Uh, It's the Battle of the Coasts, West Coast and Gold Coast, and then we've got Freo and the Giants. So there's lots of good footy to look forward to next weekend, and obviously we will talk about it here on the ESPN Footy Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at Footy Tips. Remember, we have a footy tipping competition. You can battle it out against us. Anna will need to mention that she got a perfect round. I, and how did I announce it? By asking in our WhatsApp group, so did everyone get seven? I was like, no, I love to we be all humble. did not get seven. She was very it's subtle about it. It sets me apart. <laughs> anyway, if you would like to join in with that fun, we'll leave a link to join the competition. Doesn't matter if you've missed round one and you sign up now, you can still battle it out against us. It's great fun. You can rag on your mates if like Anna you got a perfect round or if like me and Marnie you missed a couple of tips but thanks so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.